everyone, and welcome to another episode. This one is called It's Okay to Be Sad. And Devin is hosting this one, so I'll let him take it away. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hey, everybody. This is Devin. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Lonely Mountain Mystics. I am joined tonight by Andy and his wonderful wife, Christina. Can you all say hello? Hey. Hi. <laughs> so, um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, sadness, and it's okay to be sad. So, for anyone who's listening, um, you know, when we're dealing with sadness and stuff like that, if this episode is too much at some points or whatever, feel free to take a break or, you know, skip it or come back to it whenever you're ready. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, whew, now that we got the giggles out of the way, uh, do you guys want to get started? Yes, Oops. 100%. Yes, we're with you. I love it. So, um, the first thing that I, I kind of wanted to start with, because I couldn't really come up with a question. I mean, you know, is it okay to be sad? Yes, we all move on. But what I wanted to really dig into is, like, what was it like to discover a healthy relationship with sadness and what was it like to really allow yourself to mourn so for myself to kind of start off a little bit and show you where i'm kind of thinking with this is that when i i struggled with deconstruction partially because i felt guilty for doing it i felt guilty that i couldn't just be happy with where things were. And I felt like the cure to the depression, to the sadness that I was experiencing was trying to just not allow myself to be sad, not allow myself to feel sad or to really like wrestle and fight with those emotions. So for me, and that, that wasn't just deconstruction. That was me in general. Um, so tell me a little bit about you guys. Like what was your experience like with emotions and it doesn't have to be with deconstruction it can be with whatever but like what was your relationship with sadness like back in the day versus today so whichever one of y'all wants to go first um well before i think before i dive into that i just like when you describe that i remember all the stresses and the you know intense process that deconstructing was and is and i just want to say to you devin i'm really sorry that on top of that it seems like almost like a level of shame like i should just be able to be okay like why can't i just be happy yeah i'm just sorry that that story was there on top of something that's already you're already uprooting an entire way of thinking and a connection to a social support system i can imagine that feeling that shame that, oh, I should just be happy must have just been an added, you know, added layer there. I'm really sorry for that. Thanks, man. This is why I'm so glad I'm doing this with the Olsen family. You guys are so like sweet and kind and supportive. So, but yeah, tell me, tell me what it was like for you guys. What, uh, what was your experience with sadness? Yeah. Well, I think that I have had kind of a mixed relationship with sadness. I think that I've always sort of dealt with sadness as like like I'd build up a barrier against it until the barrier couldn't hold anymore and then I'd get like really sad. So it wasn't like, certainly wasn't absent from my life, but it wasn't like welcome, I guess. And I think lately I've I've definitely been trying to welcome it a little more i've even noticed lately that if i can't feel my sadness like if i can feel if i feel like sort of stuck and that like i can't be sad that that's like almost more distressing so like the sadness then tends to be like a welcome like outlet for what feels stuck in me so that feels new and different um you know like there's definitely an element where in spiritual communities Sadness, I think, tended to be something that was sort of messaged like, hey, don't be sad. Don't be sad, I think is the message I sort of received. (laughs) Um, 
Like, I remember there being a lot of language around, you know, here are the reasons why you don't need to be sad or why, like, God gives you the ability to, like, kind of bypass your sadness, which, you know, just taught me how to be in denial a lot. So I think my in my adult self has had to do some relearning of like, okay, so just like acting like I'm not sad is not making me not sad. You know, it, it's just kind of creating a massive traffic jam in my chest, which is, uh, it's really not helping. So like, <laughs> I think, um, you know, that was one of my favorite things, honestly, about the uh, the church that Christina and I started going to most recently, the UU Church in Concord. One of the first things that we both noticed was during every service, they made a, a practice, like they made a part of their spiritual practices every single time they make a time to acknowledge your joys and your sorrows that like you're invited to go up and place a stone or light a candle and you can share it or not share it. But there's like this deliberate honoring of like, we understand that your life is filled with both joy and sorrow. And there's space for all of that in this like spiritual setting. So like that was pretty awesome for me because I think it, just kept expanding me to recognize sadness as not so like you know i i think i was even uncomfortable experiencing sadness or other like when i would experience other people being sad my instinct would be like help it stop for them as soon as possible and then you know would soon realize that that wasn't actually helping people the way i thought it was helping people so that was new information for me that's so interesting that you say that because when I would see other people be sad and like openly express their grief or sorrow, my initial thought was, oh my God, you're telling the truth. Like you too? Okay. I didn't know we could do this. I didn't know we could do this. So to me, whenever I would see somebody openly express their sadness, I would feel, I guess, a sense of permission to reach into my own sadness and also (laughs) a sense of grief, like more grief on top of the sadness that I had never really been able to express it. And it took me seeing somebody else doing it in order for me to feel like it was okay. Which also speaks to the beauty of how important it is for us to tell the truth because it frees up other people to tell theirs. That's so good. Yeah. I I remember sadness was almost like a reflection of a lack of faith. You know, like if you, if you trust in the Lord, why are you sad? You know, like feel better. The Lord has got you. And it, it was just so much unintentional emotional bypassing. You know, if I haven't experienced the same level of trauma as somebody else, it's so easy for me to, because my brain can't connect with it, to just kind of push it aside a little bit and say, oh, well, you know, like, just feel better, just pray more, just trust in this, just do that, and like, be really prescriptive. And I I did that to other people, and I experienced that in return. And for me, the more that I fought the sadness and, and stuff, the more that, to me, it felt like it turned off all of my emotions, uh, except for anger. Mm. Brene Brown says something along the lines of, you can't just numb pain because there is no such thing as selective numbing. When you numb the pain, you also numb the joy as well. No, yeah, that's totally that's that's totally on board with it. And what's interesting is that now that I'm looking back, the ability to feel emotion has just gotten so much deeper that I realize, oh my goodness, I was just walking around numbing myself constantly. Okay, so yeah, I mean like for you to have numbed out like that probably meant that you didn't feel safe in your environment or multiple environments. There is 
a really amazing psychologist named Brian Peck. He works for the Religious Trauma Institute. And just today I saw him put a quote up um, on his social media page. And I was like, whoa. So I'm just going to read it really quick. It says, in religious systems, safety often comes from following the rules. So in that environment, I am not safe based on an embodied felt sense of safety, but rather the threat of what would happen if I didn't follow that rule. Rule governed safety isn't safety as much as it is survival. Jeez. Right? Wow. It made me it made me think about this sort of sometimes spoken and unspoken rule in the institutions and systems we grew up in or even maybe currently are in that basically say like, you are not allowed to be sad. You are not allowed to bring that emotion here because we need you to be producing. We need you to be dispensing. We need you to be up. We need you to be happy. We need uh, this brand to sell. We need sort of that bypassing that happens that says like, no, like, Anything is fine as long as it's not sadness or anger or fear. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that a lot of that, and what I loved about what you were saying is about like, oh, I didn't know we could tell the truth here. You know, what's really impactful about what you're saying, what I'm connecting with is the fact that like, when, when you hear somebody doing that, first of all, being different doesn't feel accepted. And then when you're in an environment where everyone's like, hashtag blessed, hashtag, you know, doing great, praise the Lord, like all that other stuff, all of a sudden now when you don't feel the same and you're having doubts or and you're for whatever other reason not the same as everyone else in the room, those feelings that aren't the same as what everyone else is experiencing just by default don't feel welcome. Yeah, I think for myself to answer that original question that you asked, like, I think every time I tried to bring my honest self growing up, and my most honest self is a pretty raw and complicated, emotive, often sad self because I feel and I feel really deeply. I sense a lot of what's happening around me in a room or in an environment. And also, there have been things that you know, cause sadness. And so I would bring an honest feeling to whatever table I belong to in the environment that I was in. And it would be bypassed, just like y'all are saying. It it would um, not be taken seriously. And I think even just thinking about this topic and trying to drop it down into my feelings, like actually to really feel what, what it's like is, it's kind of challenging. It's challenging to bring up all of the bypassing and the sadness because honestly it's so it's so it's just so tra- it's really traumatic to have your pain not be taken seriously because sadness is a it's a communication it's a it's a white flag or maybe a red flag i wouldn't know what to call it, it you know it's a it's a communication it's it's a red flag it's saying something isn't right here and to have it not land in a safe space and in a soft space, I just to me, that's just one of the most painful things. I remember, I think about seven, maybe eight years ago, um, in therapy, I had a repressed memory come back up that made me aware that I am a survivor of sexual violence. And my whole world cracked open as if it had really just happened because repressed memories are repressed and they, you know, I didn't really know anything had happened. It was brand new to me. So of course, grief set in. Now we're still dealing with so much stigma around speaking about sexual assault that it was really um, challenging to bring it to any of the spaces I belong to because there was a sense of shame around it um, and a sense of uh, nervousness that it would be cared for or um, taken seriously. And what ended up happening really is I was met with the same sort of 
um, I guess bypassing really is like the best word for it. It was, you know, people would hear me and not many, I only shared it with a few, but people would hear me and, and feel for it, but it would be moved along as if it was like, okay, like, and then eventually we, we rise and we get up and um, the Lord has, you know, something um, for you in this and, you know, stuff that you don't want to hear, really. It, it doesn't, it's not a soft space. It's not a safe space. So I think what caused part of my, I don't, I don't want to say caused, but one of the things that definitely was a shift in my spirituality and my sense of um, relationship within the church body, I guess, if we were going to talk about deconstructing from that system of community, was that there was no ability to be exactly who I was in a given moment. Because at this point in my life, there was no more ability to mask my sadness. I mean, my sadness was gigantic. Like, maybe smaller things I could mask and just smile through, but this one took me under and I needed a support system. I needed a community to be there. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. You know, well, I, and I don't, you. I wish this is where I wish, you know, my wife would be on here because, you know, she has a very similar story and I don't want to share her story, but, Part of what's so sad about this is that we oftentimes like shame our bodies in the church and especially like for women, you guys so often in the culture of church, you know, like don't wear that because you might cause a man to, to lust. That's right. And you're made responsible for what we do or don't do in our minds with our sexual fantasies. Like they're all women are made like fault of that. And uh, so it's so sad because it's such a common experience for people um, who have gone through that, who are survivors of sexual trauma. Like in the church, I hear so often like this idea of what about me caused this to happen? And like that guilt is already a natural occurrence, you know, when it comes to most types of trauma, I feel like, that are done at the hands of other people. Um, oftentimes you feel like, well, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to cause this? And then it just being compounded on there. One of the things that um, Lauren, my wife, is much more, uh, she's much further along than I am because she's just a very, she has a very high EQ, very high emotional quotient. Um, but she says that all emotions are a gift because all of them tell us a story of what's inside of us. That's right. I'm not quite there yet. I'm at this level of that emotions are not, have no morality to them, right? Like if I, like happiness isn't inherently good and sadness isn't inherently bad. Um, you know, I can be happy if I watch, you know, somebody trip and fall over and that's not good. And I can be sad if I, you know, because I look out and see a homeless person and my heart breaks, that's not bad. So emotions aren't, they don't have their own morality system. What we do with them is where morality comes in or out, but emotions are neutral. But Lauren takes it a step further and says, no, they're good because they're always telling you a story about what's happening in your body. Yeah, she's right. And that like that's backed up by neuroscience. What we know so far about emotions is that they show up in our body typically as a physical representation. So if you feel anger, you might also feel um, your the back of your shoulders clench and you might feel your hands start to clench. You might start to get really hot. You might feel some weight in your feet. You might feel like all of a sudden your body is really full. If you feel sadness, you might start to feel um, a sense of hollowness. There might be a slump. You might feel like your arms are kind of lazy to your side. You might get like chest tightness. You might get digestive issues, um, nausea even. So what we know about emotion is it shows up in the body, which is what your wife is saying is it's telling a story. Um, the neuroscience says that um, the communication that's done from the nerve fibers in our body 
our 80% our body communicating to our brain and only 20% our brain communicating to our body. So if we want to tap in to understand anything that's happening to us, this is why they say we can't think our way into healing. We have to feel our way into healing as an entry point because the communication channels are coming from our body first, 80%, 80% from our body to our brain. Oh my gosh. I've never heard that before. Yeah. My, <laughs> you're right that my wife is right. <laughs> yes. She, she, she has a couple girl. of masters in this, this exact area. <laughs> and that's yes. what I was like, please be on. Cause all I'm doing I is know. quoting her. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Hey, um, I just be before we pass by it, um, you know, like Christina, thank you for sharing your story. And obviously I remember, um, so acutely like what that, what that experience was like for you. And I don't know that that I've, I don't know that I've heard you talk about how hard it was for people to then hear it and bypass it. And I just want to say how sorry I am for that. That's like, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And the fact that um, people who genuinely cared for me and loved me, because I do know that, had to use those coping mechanisms to move through something that was um, big for them and that they didn't know what to do with speaks everything about where we are as a culture regarding normalizing feelings. So in order to feel like you can catch someone else in their sadness, I think you have to first be acquainted with your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is no blame. There is no shame from me or blame from me about that because it makes perfect sense. Because of course, how would you know how to catch someone when sadness isn't something that we practice? You know? Yeah, and that's like... like that yeah, I wow! I really hear what you're saying because, um, in if I'm not comfortable with my own emotions, then when someone else has that emotion, of course I back away from it. So like for, like for me personally, like I mean, Christina, you know this well. Like this shows up for me in anger. Like if I experience anger from someone else, I very quickly like, recoil. Have a very hard time with it, probably because I don't know how to process my own feelings of anger, right? Like I've, I've haven't like made, I feel like I've, I've sort of buddied up to sadness. Like sadness, like is a release valve that makes me feel a little bit better, but it's like, I haven't, I haven't befriended my own feelings of anger. So like I, I just as like a personal case study in what you're saying, you're absolutely right. Like, of, of course we can't be with it are supported in someone else effectively until we can be with it and support ourselves in those feelings effectively. Yeah. So my wife introduced me to a book that's called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, it's by Dr. Bessel van der, Kor- van der Kolk. Oops, sorry. And he talks a lot about what you're describing about that we carry this in the body and that, um, yeah, that everything that we experience in our mind, we start to carry around in our posture and how we move. And so it's, I mean, it's so accurate that it's going to show up physically. And then Andy, I love what you're saying about, you know, just how am I supposed to be able to sit with somebody else in their emotions when I can't even sit with my own? So how do you guys process sadness now? so as to not bypass it how do you guys process those things in a healthier way today <laughs> and i know you know real fast <laughs> statement of like none of us have arrived right we're all <laughs> working on this but like what does it look like today uh i i collapse on the floor and shake a lot i'm kidding <laughs> i'm not kidding <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't say. I I shouldn't say that I'm kidding because that has happened a few times, like within the last two months. Um, 
but so yes, that does. I, I let me clarify. That's not what happens every time I get sad. Um, but yeah, I guess that is all that to say that like I just allow myself to feel really, really sad and to trust the process of what my sadness is trying to do. Like, I think it can, I think for a lot of people, I've heard people say before, like, it feels like if I'm sad, it won't ever stop. And I think that's a very normal fear to, to have, um, that if I give in to this feeling of being sad, it just will never end. And um, I think it can be difficult to start trusting that process of letting your sadness come through and then, you know, feeling a sense of, I guess, relief when it does move through and just engaging in that process all the way has helped me to trust my own sadness a little bit more, that it's not just trying to flatten me, but that it's telling the truth, like you both have said so well, and that it's um, that it's actually trying to release an energy from my body that's trapped there. Um, and, it, and it really does help me be a more healthy person when I can do that. And I think, you know, like we've pointed out, I've, I think that has also helped me to be a little less, um, uh, jumpy around like wanting to take away everyone else's sadness as soon as it rises. Like I, I'm trying to slow down more and just be with the sadness. I'm trying to play a different role because I think I, I think I see sadness as less of an adversary, not something to be like pushed away or, or like avoided or beat in some way, like, you know, overcome in some way, but just something to be felt. And it's, it is a part of what it means to be human. I completely relate to that feeling of being so afraid that if I like opened the dam, it would just never stop. I just felt like I was so full of sadness and grief that the fear kept me from really touching it or looking at it. But I think I'm a little bit of a nerd. So I did, you know, a lot of research on emotion before I really <laughs> let myself like deep dive into feelings. And I kind of was learning through literature, but also through my body because it was talking to me. I just didn't know it was talking to me. That not only was it and is it okay to be sad, but it's actually vital to be sad. It's sort of a lifeline. Um, sadness trapped or any emotion trapped inside of our body um, starts to make our bodies and our souls decay. You know, I was so afraid that once I started, I wouldn't be able to stop because I didn't want sadness to control me. But instead, what I found is that when I wasn't letting myself be sad, sadness was actually controlling me because it was alive in me no matter how much I tried to bury or deny it. So as soon as I let myself feel, it was it was like I could breathe again, you know, I, I mean, it would hurt for a little while. It would feel sad. I mean, we know what sadness feels like. It, it was heavy, but kind of like a, a wave. It would come and then it would go back into the ocean. So good. So good. Um, yeah, so for, for me, the first time that I experienced depression and sadness without like desires for self-destruction or self-harm, it felt good. And it's a weird thing to say that even now, and, and I, I say even now, like I've, you know, like I've, it's been such a long time, but like now I recently was experiencing some sadness and it felt good because I also was allowing myself to also not just feel the sadness, but to also feel the good things that were happening too. And to allow myself to carry both of those emotions. And so sadness for me, and even times whenever I've been depressed, you know, it's very scary for my wife whenever I use the word like I am depressed. 
um, because she knows like how serious those struggles can get. Um, but what's been really beautiful is that like I can actually have a healthy level of depression where, yeah, I'm sad and I'm very sad and I'm going to be sad for a while, but I don't have to be scared that I'm going to be sad for a while because I know that in time it will fade. And we see this cycle in nature. You know, we see this cycle of uh, death and decay and then life comes right after it. We see this cycle in like healthy farming techniques. If you want a field to do well, it can't just prosper all the time. Eventually, it's healthy to literally cut and burn the fields. That's why Native Americans did a better job with agriculture than we did for a long time. But um, this idea of like, allowing grief to come in, allowing sadness to come in and really experiencing it. We find it in nature and in our own lives. But as I've gotten towards that place of better health, I find that I enjoy sadness in a way that I never thought I could. I'm not a masochist who's like, yay, it's time to be sad. But it doesn't feel the way that it used to. And it feels more um, enjoyable. And I know that's weird to say, and I don't know how to describe it for anyone who's not experienced it, but it's definitely not a thing where you'll just stay there forever. Well, it sounds like you're being honest with yourself and that can feel really light and good. Yeah, but also... think that's what it is? Yeah, I think that's part of it, but I also think that when you're denying those feelings that's when it's controlling you the most. So in this situation, while I'm allowing my body to experience it and I'm allowing myself to feel it, I'm not letting it actually control me because I'm in the driver's seat. I'm saying it's time to feel this. Therefore, I'm going to feel it all the way through and I'm going to ride the roller coaster the whole time and I'll even put my hands in the air, but I'm in control of the roller coaster rather than letting the roller coaster control me because it was dictating how I could experience happiness and whether or not I could. It was dictating whether or not I could have positive, healthy relationships with friends. It was dictating my codependency. It was behind the steering wheel completely and now I'm finally behind the steering wheel myself. Wow, that's so that's so amazing and so beautiful and really inspiring to me actually because I feel like I haven't quite gotten to that place where I can um feel that comfortable with my sadness alone. So far, the deepest healing work I've done and this could be because it's so specifically connected to um, my personal traumas, but the deepest healing I've done is when I have someone hold witness to my sadness. So for me, the things shift in my body and in my brain and they release from me when there is somebody acting as a container to hold it and to see it and witness it. And then it's like, okay, I can move on. It, that person doesn't even need to do anything that really all they have to do is just listen and just hold it and be there. And then it's like, then for me, the release comes. I haven't quite gotten to the place where I can be sad with myself without it totally taking me under. Cause I definitely have tendencies of depression and unlike you, I do not enjoy the ride. <laughs> no, it, it, it really does truly feel pretty cavernous to me. And, um, so having, so having a safe space to put the sadness is important too. It's kind of getting in touch with yourself, like knowing yourself and what you need and what the sadness needs and what is like kind of the next right step for you and the sadness. How does it need to be experienced and communicated? Also, can we just like throw out a quick PSA that like, if you've never watched the movie Inside Out, you you just need to do that for yourself. If you just like, oh yeah, dude. When she said that, I was like thinking. I, honestly, I'm starting to get excited with some of the kids' cartoons because one of my daughter's like favorite songs to listen to is like "Do the Next Right Thing," and it's all about like grief and just taking another step and feeling the emotions. And oh man, get it. Sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah. No, I love that song as well, actually. I was very proud of the Frozen 2 soundtrack. Heck yeah, man. Um, I, I love what you're saying. And I also want to kind of take it back and tie it together with a couple other things that you said, Christina. Um, and it reminds me very much of um, very much of Lauren and I's struggles um, with some of the types of trauma that both her and I have experienced. Um, just having someone see you is so helpful. I would encourage people who are like that to to try and seek out to like professional help to begin with. Because what I found is that I destroyed a friend of mine, a friendship of mine, almost to the point of it not being repairable. Because when they were struggling, I was able to just sit there, go with them, be with them. But when I was struggling, they weren't able to do that. And I felt so betrayed so angry and so hurt by it. But what I've realized since is that it's not his fault. It's not his fault that that's not how he was made. Like he's not, he wasn't at a point in his life where he could just sit like that. And there's no reason for me to be upset with him about that at all. Because the truth is, is that that's not his job. That's not his responsibility. And where he was at in his life, that's just not what he was able to do. And so it's so important to have that if you need it, but it's also important to remember that there, the majority of people in your life might not be able to be that person for you, and it's not because they don't love you. Like you were saying with uh, the people who are doing spiritual bypassing with you, you know, it's not that they didn't love me. It's not that they didn't care for me or genuinely want me to be a healed person. They just weren't able to carry this with me in the ways that I needed. Which, like, I, you know, I do think on a practical level, is that that's that's a point where it's important to keep looking for those individuals until you can find them, because, like, you know what I mean, like, because they, they they are out there. People, people, I mean, certainly people who've shared your experiences, whatever your specific pain experiences are, are out there, and you know, thank you, internet, they're not that far away from you you know, or thank you access to uh, mental health support, you know, they're not that far away from you. So just, I guess for anyone listening who feels like, okay, I am surrounded by people who love me, but can't hold this with me. Just be aware that those people who can hold it exist, like they do exist. And and like, don't stop looking for them until you find them. Yeah, I love that. And that's so true. And it's, um, I know that there are a lot of people who've talked about this. Like, I know Jen Hatmaker's hit on this issue. Rachel Hollis has hit on this. You might not have found your tribe yet. Like, to kind of hit on what you're saying, Andy, like, just because you don't have it now doesn't mean that you won't find your tribe. Or maybe it's also a good indicator that you're not in the right tribe and you need to go find a new one. Um, if you're around people who consistently aren't able to help with this, go find the tribe of people who can. Yeah. And I think like being honest with who we really are is a beacon and a radar for the attraction of the kind of people who will be there for you. Because anybody who is willing to sit in the pain with you has also done the work to sit in some pain themselves. So when you are vulnerable to, and I don't mean like deeply vulnerable, please protect yourself and be careful and make sure that you go slowly with how you share and how open the wound is. And um, But there are ways to, you know, kind of offer a breadcrumb to say like, are you like a safe space? Uh, do you understand this kind of thing? And the people who do, they eat it right up and they say, oh yes, and I have more. Yes. So first of all, and this is a definite compliment, but you sounded like such a mom when you're like, be safe. <laughs> I love it. And I say that as a compliment. I, I genuinely mean it as a compliment. Uh, well, because you know, like, I, I mean, I say that because of my own memories of oversharing and being completely blindsided um, by 
just the the response and then me being like, oh, oh, oh God, I just said like so much and wishing that I had only given, you know, just a little bit, but not in a way that is fake or false. I really want to show up in my true self, but I'm going to give you all of me when I know that I can trust you with all of me. Yeah. We did an interview with uh, a woman named Britt Barron, aka Beans. She is awesome, but she has a book called Worth It, where she talks about encouraging people that when you get to that space of you've started healing, you are becoming that person who can sit in the discomfort with someone else, that there is nothing that you can do more loving than to be be open about that story, to be a beacon for other people who are also needing that thing. And it is such a wonderful gift that you can give to other people when you can be that beacon of hope for somebody else. And so, yeah, she said, she talks about that in really beautiful ways. But I love that you brought up the be safe disclaimer, you know, that not every place is the right place to show everything. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I want to do before we go, and I this might be weird, uh, so and I don't even really know how to word the question, but how how has happiness and joy shown up now that you've gotten more comfortable with your ability to be sad? Yeah, I think for me, it just totally clears up the space when I'm able to be sad. It like moves the energy through my body and allows my being to be more open to experiencing and receiving joy. I am still sort of a pretty sad person. (laughs) So I'm still kind of um, um, actively looking for my joy sparks. Um, I think it's a little bit of work for me right now. I think there's a lot of um, backup in my, my body of grief and sadness. And some of that is like my own work to be doing um, to kind of get out of loops and cycles where I stay places because it's the narrative that I know. Um, But I do think that when the sadness moves through all the way through and doesn't get stuck and landed inside me, and I really let it just have the room then it does open up so much more space for joy. And the joy feels really good. Like it's it's like actual, real joy. I feel like I can see things clearer. I can see my child clearer. I can see Andy clearer. I can see my surroundings and the world. Like, I don't know, everything just feels more vibrant because I let sadness move through. Yeah. I like that you talked about openness first, like you feel open to more things um, because I do feel like more of a connection to myself, more of a connection to the world, to like a sense of wonder about things Um, that like happens a lot more when I'm allowing myself to like feel all of my emotions. And I also noticed about myself, even when you asked the question that like, this is still very much obviously a work in progress for me because Like I almost started thinking of it of like, oh yeah, how does like, now that I can connect with my sadness, which is not that great, how do I, then does that make me happier? It's like, that's the reward. And I like, I almost like still have to slow my brain down to say like, it's all a gift. Like, like, and like, and cause I love being happy. Like everybody else. <laughs> feels great. But like but I think I think for myself, like I just noticed I, I, I'm still learning how to focus like how to really be in touch with my own experiences in general, as opposed to like really focusing on how everyone else is doing around me, just taking up emotional real estate, no matter what that looks like, I think is still like a growing process for me. And yeah, just, just receiving it all as a gift that, okay, like Andy, are you okay if your sadness is extended? Like, you know, sure. Those moments where you like cry really hard and it's just like a release. And then you feel a sense of like happiness after like that's, 
that feels good and I like those times. But like, what if I have a low grade sadness for a while? Like, will I accept that about like, and will I just embrace it as a gift? And I, I think that I'm still, that's like my next step of trust, I guess, of the sadness of like that, you know, it's not out to get me. It's not out to like rob me of the the joy that I do love so much. And I, I tend to be a joyful leaning person, but yeah, that's, that's like my current project. So when you say that, I almost get so excited about just the topic of happiness that I'm jumping to like, yeah, like, right. Like my sadness gives me more happiness, which is why it's okay. But I need, I'm like, okay, no, Andy, like slow down and just, can you really embrace the sadness on its own as a gift? So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. I love that attitude, man. That's so good though. Embracing it as the gift because it is. So, um, for myself, I did not go into this with this goal and I didn't know that this was going to happen, but all of my emotions have turned up in just so much more beautiful ways. And my wife shared a quote and I wish I could remember who it was from, but basically it's however deeply sad you can experience you can experience that same level of joy that they are both possible because the brain isn't good at like numbing one thing. It numbs them all. And so as I create space for my sadness to steal Brene Brown's quote and metaphor, I'm bringing more, I'm making the table bigger. So now more emotions are able to experience and sit at the table and are you able to go as deep as my depression and anger were once able to go. And so I unintentionally have experienced joy to the point of like debilitating joy. I have had like anxiety attacks, like um, nervous breakdowns. Like I can, I can help somebody who's having like a panic attack. Like I get really calm and comfortable because I'm like, I've been there. I know how to help with this. I can like walk you through this um, because I was just so familiar with doing it for myself. And, but to recently I've had a few memories where it's just like debilitating joy and happiness where I'm just so overwhelmed that like I'm experiencing joy and excitement and hope and love and, and happiness in a way that I never experienced, never thought possible. Um, and it's, it's absolutely amazing, but it was by no means, Andy, it was not like, this is the goal. This is like the reward. Right. And I sometimes try and do that, but, um, but more often than not, like this is just the byproduct that I've gotten from allowing myself just to experience the depth of all of my emotions. So I think sometimes it is a little bit challenging to even know if we are sad. Like we might kind of feel like we are, but we don't really know where to begin. So if you want to touch in on your sadness, you can start with your body and getting really in tune with the physical sensations to your body. So you can find just a moment in your day to sit and let everything else in the world kind of wash away and just notice what's happening in your physical body. And you can still hear the sounds that are happening around you, but if you can start to feel like, is there pain in your lower back? Does your chest feel tight? Are your fingers like constantly moving? Do your feet scrunch up? Do you feel hollow somewhere, full somewhere? Are your fists tightened? Just start to notice like, what's happening in your body and then when you identify it what I like to do is I like to put like my hand on that space to offer it some comfort and some presence that's almost like offering it some friendship and camaraderie and then I just see what it wants to say to me because what the body is doing is trying to tell you something it's trying to communicate and then from there you can see what it's asking for you can give it 
um, a warm blanket or a stretch. You can stand up and start to move um, in a way that it just wants to. It can look like dance or it can just look like an expression of any sort. You might find that your body is asking for something and in the movement and in the touch and in the awareness, the feeling might feel safe enough to be released and to say even more and to let it move all the way through. And if it starts to come, just be with it and let it be. That's awesome. I think that's actually a good, Andy, unless you want to add something else to me, I'm, I'm good with ending there. Andy's flattened over here. I'm just doing that right now. And thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I didn't know you were actually doing it. Yeah. Oh, wow. You take this a hundred percent. Yeah. Are you okay? Oh yeah. 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 I'm sad. It's awesome. Thanks everyone for sticking around for another episode. Sorry it's been so long in between episodes. Um, since the pandemic, it's been tough to kind of get everything together, but you know, working on a good home uh, work balance, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff that we've recorded that I'm looking forward to getting out in the coming weeks and months. So stick with us, and uh, it'll be coming your way soon. Thanks, as always, to our patrons. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can check us out on Patreon. You're also more than welcome to reach out to us via email. You can email hosts at LonelyMountainMystics.com. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> hey, you guys. Meow, meow, meow. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> None of I this don't is know usable. what sound effect. I don't know what sound effect to add. <laughs> you could do like you could do like one of those like you'll know it's time to turn the page sounds. <laughs> I like the pew 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 better. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. None of this is usable. All right. <laughs> So today's episode is about sadness. <laughs> pew 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 is not usable. No, I think none of this is usable. I think oh pew pew God. pew is the most usable thing. I think so too. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs>